Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello and welcome to episode number 187 of the Draft Analyst, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? I'm your host, Chris Tripodi, and with me, as always, is Tony Pauline. And last week, we broke down the NFL draft from a macro perspective, but this week and in the weeks to follow, we'll be going division by division to break down what happened in this year's draft from a more micro perspective. We'll hit four teams on each episode, including notable UDFAs to give you a nice tight overview of what every team was able to accomplish on draft day. Tony, how's the past week and a half been for you since the draft concluded? Busier than usual. I I mean, I'm going to start my film review in about a week, but I got to get the database uh, in order. And, you know, it's very difficult to try and figure out with the uh, graduate transfers, but now you got to make sure that you got the guys who are coming back, the super seniors, guys who are coming back for a second senior year. Now, usually what I'll do is I'll have everything ordered by the 2021 draft and you just get rid of them. Can't do that because a lot of those guys are coming back. Guys who are supposed to be eligible for the 2021 season, seniors, I should say, are coming back. So getting my database, you know, in order and then crossing my fingers that it's going to be right is uh, it's been a job of and by itself. Yeah, and, and we'll get to more about how that whole, um, you know, people returning to school because of the extra year the NCAA granted affected this year's draft a little bit later in the show. After this word from our sponsor. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Bet online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. We can't bet on where rookies get drafted anymore, but we can now bet on their NFL performance. Trevor Lawrence and Jameen Davis are currently the front runners for offensive and defensive rookie of the year, respectively. But the odds are pretty spread out at this point, meaning it's anybody's award here in early May, as it probably should be. Uh, Trevor Lawrence uh, in Jacksonville, kind of an iffy proposition there. Jamin Davis, that's interesting. I guess a lot of people are not that high on Mike, or at least the, uh, the betters, the guys who set the wages are not that high on Micah Parsons. So head to the website betonline.ag or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Now we'll start our divisional recaps with the ASC East and we will go in pick order, meaning that we will start with our own New York Jets here, picking at number two overall, pick that more or less we knew for a long time coming. Zach Wilson, quarterback out of BYU. Jets kind of signaled this even further when they traded Sam Darnold. Uh, this is the way that the betting lines over our pals at betonline.ag were certainly strongly leaning towards Zach Wilson. Uh, certainly a good pick for the Jets. He fits the scheme very well. Um, he's pretty much a perfect fit. Um, in terms of what you would want for him in terms of NFL scheme for his skill set. Um, you know, there are some that would argue that Justin Fields is a better quarterback prospect. I'm in that boat, but I do like Zach Wilson a lot. He was my number three quarterback prospect in this draft. A big fan of his game, a big fan of what he can do in this scheme. And overall, what do you think of this pick, Tony, for the New York Jets? Well, I mean, it was the second worst kept secret in the NFL draft after, after Trevor Lawrence going to Jacksonville. What do I think? I mean, on paper, he checks all the boxes, but once again, the New York Jets are starting all over again at the quarterback position with a player they hope will be their quarterback of the future, their, their franchise quarterback. You're going to have to wait and see. 
And speaking of future franchise quarterbacks here, the Jets, when they drafted Sam Darnold, didn't really give him a lot of help. But with their next two draft picks this year, they did give him some help with a pair of Elijahs. Elijah Vera Tucker out of USC. They traded up to number 14 from pick 23 to grab him, probably move him inside to guard, play tackle in college. And then Elijah Moore, receiver out of Mississippi, an explosive slot receiver, not great size, but just really Good player, excellent production this season. You know, two guys that can really help out Zach Wilson. Looks like Joe Douglas had a plan here to not only take his quarterback of the future, but to surround him with talent to allow him to succeed as well. You know, I I called the trade on Pro Football Network before the first round began. I knew that the Jets were looking to move back into the top half of round one for either Tucker, Rashawn Slater, or either of the cornerbacks if those guys happen to fall. They take Vera Tucker. Uh, Listen, he is – a lot of people are very upset because of what the Jets gave away – there comes a point in time when you've got so much draft capital, you have to use that draft capital to move and get a player that you think can be an outstanding player at the next level. That's what the Jets hope will happen with Vera Tucker. As far as Elijah Moore is concerned, it's a little bit surprising. I was told all along was going to be Aziz Arjelari, but with Moore, he brings the element of speed, which the Jets don't have at the receiver core. You know, you got to wonder what they're going to do with Jamison Crowder now. Crowder was a very good receiver with Sam Darnold. I don't know how he figures in moving forward. Uh, if they keep Crowder, the Moore is your, your number four receiver. You line him up in the slot. Basically, he's one of those guys. You keep him off the line of scrimmage, and opposing defensive backs are going to have to take a couple steps back. If they do get rid of Crowder and save some money on the salary cap, Moore moves into that slot receiver. Excellent complement to the uh, players already on the roster or the pass catchers on, already on the roster, Denzel Mims and Corey Davis. Absolutely. And your point about consolidating draft picks to move up. I mean, you can't trade down all the time. Now, trading down is a good strategy if you have multiple guys on your board you want or you think your guy's going to fall. But eventually you got to take those picks you accumulated and move up with them to get guys that you really covet. And again, if you're a smart GM, if you're good at evaluating talent, if you have scouts that you trust, you're going to end up with good players in your trades up. You're going to just use picks that you got in trades down and it all balances out to make your roster just better in terms of football talent. Speaking of building a roster, we speak all the time about day three being when teams really build out, you know, Super Bowl winners, whether it's special teamers, backup depth, whatever it may be. The Jets had seven picks on the third day. The first four of them in rounds four and five, Michael Carter, the running back out of North Carolina early in the fourth round, Jamie and Sherwood defensive back from Auburn in round five, probably going to move him to linebacker. Another Michael Carter, Michael Carter, the second out of Duke safety and cornerback Jason Pinnock out of Pittsburgh. Uh, a lot of talent here. And Michael Carter was a guy that a lot of people thought could go round three, ends up going round four. Really good value pick there for the Jets. Jamie and Sherwood, a player I like, a bit surprised to see him go in the fifth round. Same thing with Michael Carter. And, and Jason Pinnock is a guy who maybe he wasn't the most productive guy in college, but this is a traits based pick. And a lot of times on day three, you're drafting guys for traits. What do you think of rounds four and five for the Jets, Tony? Carter was an absolute steal. I had said, if you read me, Pro Football Network, that the Jets were high on him since the Senior Bowl. He's a perfect fit for that offense. He's not a feature back, but they don't need a feature back. He's a guy that can pick and choose on the inside, turn the corner. He's an outstanding pass catcher out of the backfield. Uh, I thought it was a great pick. Jamie and Sherwood, I would agree with you about him uh, falling into the fifth round. The problem is he ran in the four sevens. Uh, that's why they're likely going to move him to uh, linebacker. Michael Carter, guy who came off of injury, guy who's got a lot of upside, but someone who, you know, leaves a lot to be desired. I thought that they should have gone cornerback there, although I do like Jason Pinnock. I think Pinnock is a guy who can be a good dime back at the next level. Uh, Doesn't have great speed, but he's fast enough. He's a smart, tough uh, corner that can play in a variety of systems with good ball skills. 
a trio of six round picks to round out the Jets draft. Hamza Nizruladeen from Florida State, Brandon Eccles, that corner you mentioned from Kentucky, and Arkansas defensive lineman Jonathan Marshall. Nizruladeen, probably another guy just like Sherwood, who's going to play a little bit of a linebacker, probably a core special teams type of guy. Tony, how did the Jets finish out here in round six? You know, I, the Nizruladeen pick doesn't excite me. I was never very high on him, especially coming off of Sherwood, off the Sherwood selection. Uh, he's a projection. Uh, you know, maybe he makes it an outside linebacker. Again, I, I thought that they could have looked at another corner at that point in time, maybe another receiver. I love the Eccles pick. Eccles is a guy who really didn't make many plays this year because Kentucky moved Kelvin Joseph into that playmaking position in the secondary. But he's a, you go back in the 2019 film, he was an outstanding cornerback, a playmaker in 2019. He was good in 2020, ran in the low 4-3s. Another guy who I think will battle with Pinnock to be that uh, fourth or fifth cornerback as your dime back. I like Jonathan Marshall again. You got to, uh, as I said uh, when he was drafted, you got to get past the film on Jonathan Marshall because they used him incorrectly at Arkansas. They used him at nose tackle, and he's not a nose tackle. He's more of your, if you're going to use him at nose tackle, it's going to be in a sort of a one gap system. He's very athletic. He's got a large upside. He's, he's not a gap occupying nose tackle. He's more of a one gap, you know, between the uh, offensive linemen's type of nose tackle. And in the Jets system, I think he can do very well. I think they got some good players on day three. Now, a lot of undrafted free agents signed by the Jets after the draft, as you'll see through the rest of this episode and our other episodes, that's not necessarily a theme around the league. The guys that stand out to me, there are 12 right now. Kenny Yaboa, tight end from Mississippi, Elijah Moore's college teammate, a guy we've talked about on the show, a guy that pretty much everybody expected to go on day three, ends up going undrafted. We talked about him on the last show a little bit as well. Brendan White from Rutgers, the former Ohio State defensive back. Isaiah Dunn, the cornerback from Oregon State, adding more to the secondary. Hamaka Rashad Jr. out of Oregon State. Another guy, I mean, a massive 2019 season, a terrible 2020 season. You know, maybe he can put something in between in terms of being able to make the Jets roster, but, you know, a talented player, fell completely out of the draft and really deservedly so after the season that he had. But, you know, if he can get back anywhere near his 2019 level of play, he might be able to make this roster and help out. In the past, the Jets have uh, gone after attack-free agency very lightly, and you wondered why they left so much talent out there. I actually think they did an outstanding job this year. You mentioned Kenny Yoboa. They gave him a large guarantee salary. I'm told that before minicamp even began, the Jets fully expect him to make the active roster. The only way he doesn't make an act the active roster, if he gets uh, has a significant injury in his sideline, I'm told he looked great in minicamp. Teton Saltis of New Mexico played uh, left tackle, but is a zone-blocking guard at the next level. Uh, same thing with Parker Ferguson from Air Force, a mobile guy that you can use uh, on the second level, pull him across the line of scrimmage. I like Brendan White a lot. I had Brendan White graded as a seventh-round pick throughout the process, and then he ran the four sixes during his pro day, so I had to move him out, but he is an outstanding player. Hamilcar Rashid Jr., you know, a guy who could have gone third round, but played like he wanted to be elsewhere, and as a result, fell out of draft. Even Grant Hermans, uh, the big offensive tackle from Purdue, right tackle prospect. If he doesn't make the active roster, I think he's a guy destined for the practice squad. Now, moving on to the Miami Dolphins, they had the third overall pick to start, traded it to San Francisco for two additional first-round picks and number 12. Then they traded another first-rounder to get from number 12 to number six with the Philadelphia Eagles, where they drafted Jalen Waddell, wide receiver out of Alabama. They also had a later first-round pick their own. The other one they had was from the Houston Texans in the Laramie Tunzel deal a couple of years ago. With that second first-round pick, Jalen Phillips, the defensive end 
out of Miami, a guy that no one really knew about coming into the season. Gregory Rousseau opts out, a guy who was supposedly supposed to be in this draft range. Jalen Phillips comes in and just blows up in Rousseau's stead, ends up going 18th overall. Waddle, the first Alabama receiver off the board, the second receiver, one pick after Jamar Chase, just brings a ton of speed to the Miami offense, a bit redundant with a guy like Will Fuller, but Fuller is on a one-year contract, so that deep burner job for Tua Tagovailoa is going to be Jalen Waddles in the future, and he's going to get mixed in a lot this year. That's going to be an entirely different-looking Miami offense. You know, in the lead-up to the draft, I said a couple things about Miami. They didn't want to take an opt-out player with that uh, sixth selection, which they didn't. Basically, moving away from Devonta Smith because they didn't want to take a receiver that weighed under 170 pounds. So they ended up with Waddle over Penny Sewell. I should say they ended up taking Waddle over Penny Sewell. Waddle's got tremendous upside. I mean, he is a home run threat anytime the ball's in his hands and he can score from any point in the field. The problem with Waddle is, you know, he's got a very limited body of work. He's not a polished receiver. He's going to need a lot of work on his game before he's NFL ready. But again, you can line him up in the slot, you can move him around, and that speed is really a determining factor, which is going to put opponents on their back heels. Phillips, you know, Phillips was an interesting guy in the sense that he had a lot of injuries early in his career, retired from football. There were red flags about him and he didn't go to combine medicals, which they had because uh, of a positive COVID test. I'm sure with the Miami Hurricanes being right down the road from the Miami Dolphins, they were able to get some inside information on the medical condition or on the medical pass to Jalen Phillips, which satisfied them and made them comfortable, which is why they selected him. I knew they were going to take a pass rusher uh, with that second pick. I thought it may have been Quiddy Pay. They end up with Jalen Phillips, who actually is probably a better fit for that system in a sense that you can stand him up over tackle because he's got such incredible athleticism. Now, a pair of second-round picks for Miami. Oregon safety, Javon Holland, a bit of a surprise as the first safety off the board. And then Notre Dame offensive tackle, Liam Eichenberg at pick 42, a guy that we've talked about you know, being a little bit lukewarm on in terms of where he was going to go in the draft, uh, you know, whether it be early second round, whatever it may be, but a guy that will fortify Miami's offensive line. And it's a team with a lot of picks. They're able to kind of address a position of need. And then Javon Holland will help out in the secondary. Definitely a complete player. Um, definitely a good addition. Just a bit surprising to see him go as the first safety off the board. Doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad value pick though. Well, I think, number one, Morick had injuries, had a back issue that uh, concerned some teams. And the fact is Miami was looking for a cover safety, and there's no doubt about it. Holland was the best cover safety in this draft. Uh, He's a guy who can also play cornerback. I mean, he's someone that, you know, on third-down situations or even second-down situations, you can line Javon Holland up over the slot receiver, and he's going to do a real good job for you. It is interesting, though, how Miami wanted to stay away from opt-out players with their early picks, yet they took an opt-out player at the top of round two uh, with that selection. Eichenberg, you're right. I, I, you know, it'll be interesting to see where they have Eichenberg line up. I've seen him at guard. I mean, he's not a left tackle, that's for sure. But the fact is, is a left tackle with two at Tagliavoa is basically your right tackle because two is left-handed. So, so it's the right tackle that's protecting the blind side. Uh, you know, I, I think Eichenberg went where he should have gone. We, as you said, we've both been lukewarm warm on him, and there was some talk about him being a first-round choice, which I thought was ridiculous. Middle of round two is exactly where we, I expected him to go. Yeah, Tony, it looks like on the depth chart they have Eichenberg slotted in at left guard behind Michael Dieter at the moment. So it looks like they are going to kick him inside, which might be a better fit for his skill set. Definitely not a left tackle at the NFL level. We'll see if he can succeed at guard. In the third round, Miami took Boston College tight end Hunter Long 
interesting compliment to Mike Jasicki, a guy they drafted highly a couple of years ago, who's been productive, but lines up a lot in the slot. Hunter Long, more of that inline tight end, can catch passes, can do work in the passing game. So those two at the tight end position should be able to complement each other relatively well. Then no picks rounds four through six for Miami. In round seven, they went with UMass offensive tackle Larnell Coleman and Cincinnati running back Jared Dokes, a couple guys that people didn't necessarily have on their radar in terms of getting drafted. Tony, what do you think of the long pick and those two seventh rounders? Yeah, I mean, long is is a balanced tight end. He's got a well-rounded game. He's got pretty much a complete game. He's just not a great athlete. I mean, he, his pro day numbers were okay. You watch him on film. He's not a downfield threat. I always thought he could, he's maybe a good number, a very good number two tight end in the right system, a traditional system. He's maybe a number one. So I thought it was a good pick for Miami. You know what? When it's third and two or third and goal from the one, you bring Hunter Long in as a uh, as a blocker or a guy that's just going to scoot five yards off the line of scrimmage and throw him the ball. The other two guys, Coleman was was graded as draftable by scouts. UMass, I think, played one or two games last year. He's a guy who's a high upside guy who I think is destined for the practice squad. Dokes could be more of your traditional West Coast fullback. He's a solid ball carrier who grinds out on the inside. He's a decent pass catcher. He had a sensational pro day. And Dokes drafted in the seventh round. He wasn't even mentioned by scouts. He wasn't even, not forget about Grady. He wasn't even on scouts list coming into the years. So that was, uh, that was an accomplishment by itself. Now, only four undrafted free agents for Miami. Robert Jones, the offensive tackle from Middle Tennessee State. Jerome Johnson, defensive tackle from Indiana. Carl Tucker, tight end slash fullback, H-back, whatever you want to call him, from Alabama. And Jalen Askew, cornerback from Georgia Tech. Not a ton of real impact that I can see in this four-player UDFA class. Not like it's particularly high in quality, despite being low in quantity. I mean, Jerome Johnson is a guy, big body on the interior, a little bit of athleticism, uh, but just not a guy that's going to make any sort of huge impact. Tony, anything really stand out to you from this UDFA class? Now, Robert Jones was a guy that gained a lot of momentum in 2020 Middle Tennessee State, was not degraded, went to the Senior Bowl, uh, had, had a decent practice. He's a big, thick, wide-body blocker that will compete at guard. I expect he'll end up on the practice squad come September. Now, moving on to the New England Patriots, who picked 15th overall. And after all the talk of Mac Jones going number three to San Francisco, proving to be a smokescreen, Mac Jones falls all the way to number 15. New England Patriots scoop him up, the first of two Alabama players they selected on the first two days. I mean, at this point, we know what Mac Jones is. He's a guy that came in and took that job last year, went to Attack of Aloha, got hurt. This year, went to Attack of Aloha, was moved on, and really did a good job stepped in right away, commanded that offense. You know, he's limited physically. He's not going to beat you with his legs. He doesn't have a massive deep arm, but he is accurate in the deep field. He's a guy that has good leadership qualities, really stood out at the senior bowl. Not necessarily a high upside pick, but a guy who does project as a solid starter and and one who should see the field relatively early in New England. It was a good selection for both team and player. You know, I had stated all along, it was a massive reach for Mac Jones not only to be the uh, top three pick, but to be a top 10 pick. He's a good quarterback. He's not, you know, he's not a franchise type quarterback. I think he landed in a great spot. I think it's a situation where he doesn't have to start quickly. A lot of people think that Mac Jones reminds them of a uh, young Tom Brady. I don't necessarily agree with that, but he is smart. He is a field general and he is the type of quarterback that Bill Belichick has had success with. Now, as I said, time and time again, We'll see if that infrastructure, which developed not just Tom Brady, but Matt Castle and Jacoby Brissett and Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, uh, situations where you got a, 
a Hall of Famer in uh, in Brady, and you got back for Castle, for Brissett, for Garoppolo more than you paid for them in the draft. We'll see if that infrastructure is still in place and they can develop Mac Jones. Now I mentioned Mac Jones being the first of two Crimson Tide players selected by the Patriots. The second one, Christian Barmore near the top of round two, disruptive defensive tackle on the inside. And then I know Tony, one of your favorite players in the draft, Oklahoma defensive end Ronnie Perkins at pick 96 in the third round, a guy who definitely was not projected to go a lot higher, at least by the end of the season, beginning of the season, people thought very highly of him, but fell down draft boards. Really good value at this point. The Patriots added two very good players to their defensive line, I think. Outstanding value in Perkins. Had some off-the-field character concerns, which I'm sure raised some red flags. It'll be interesting to see, you know, how the the Patriots use him. I I like Perkins as either a defensive end and a four-man front or standing over tackle. They gave Matt Judon a huge amount of money in free agency. So, uh, again, I, I guess it's good for Perkins in the sense that he'll be a situational player coming in as a rookie. There's not going to be a lot of uh, a lot of pressure on him. Again, it's, it depends on how New England uses him. Christian Barmore, another good fit. You know, more of a one-gap defensive tackle. You put him next to De- Devon Godshow. You let him shoot the gaps. He's athletic. He's mobile. He's got to get a little bit stronger. He's got to learn to play hard in every down, but he's heading the right direction. I thought it was another good pick by the uh, Patriots. Five third-day picks here. Perkins' Oklahoma teammate, Ramondre Stevenson, went off the board in the fourth round at pick 120 to the Patriots, guy who could end up pushing Sony Michelle off the roster after Michelle has just dealt with injury after injury at the NFL level, hasn't really materialized into the player everyone thought he was going to. In the fifth round, Michigan linebacker Cameron McGrone was the pick, a pair of six-rounders, Missouri safety Joshua Bledsoe, and Colorado offensive tackle William Sherman, guy we discussed quickly on last week's show. Then Central Florida wide receiver Trey Nixon rounding out the Patriots draft in round seven. Some intriguing players here. The Patriots definitely did some interesting things. What do you think of these five selections, Tony? Yeah, players that got that have a lot of upside and players that fit the system. I think with Ramondre Stevenson, you're looking at a guy that's going to bring competition and more of a short yardage back uh, to the running back unit at Miami. I think when you look at McGrone, McGrone was projected to go a lot earlier. He fits the, the Patriots system. He is a tough punch in the face type of inside linebacker that's really good against the run can get outside the box and make plays third and five you're going to take him off the field because he's not great in coverage we talked about William Sherman I think he's in the right spot I mean the Patriots like those slightly undersized but very athletic guys who are quick on their feet and get out to the second level can block in motion you look at their lineup now Isaiah Wynn similar sort of player David Andrews similar sort of player Shaq Mason, exact type of player as William Sherman. I'm glad to see Sherman uh, got uh, drafted. I think he'll do well with the Patriots. In my opinion, if he can stay healthy and if the Patriots can finally learn how to develop a receiver, they hit a home run in Trey Nixon because at the top of his game, Trey Nixon is third, fourth round value, but he's had a lot of injuries. He had okay production, but he's a terrific pass catcher who can stretch it deep. Question is, can he stay healthy? And I think the bigger question is, you look at all the draft capital and the moves the Patriots have made to bring in uh, receivers. They were never really able to uh, develop them, except for a guy like Julian Edelman, who was a, an option quarterback in, in uh, college. Uh, let's see if they can do what Trey Nixon. If they did, they hit a home run here. No real UDFAs of note for New England, just Michigan kicker Quinn Norton. So unless Tony has words about Norton, we're going to move on here and take a look at what the Buffalo Bills were able to do. 
And in the first round at pick 30, Miami defensive end Gregory Rousseau was the pick for Buffalo. Again, more help on the defensive line for this team. They do have a couple impending free agents on the defensive line in Jerry Hughes and Mario Addison. So two guys that are going to move on probably next season. The Bills are making sure they're keeping that area of their team fortified here. And a guy, again, he opted out this year, allowed Jalen Phillips to really break out, go to the Dolphins 12 picks earlier, but Gregory Rousseau still ends up as a first round pick. Tony, your feelings. Yeah, not only did they have uh, guys on, on one year contracts at defensive end, those guys are up there in age. They're both over 30 years old. So obviously, you know, there was a need. I don't want to say that I'm slightly surprised with, with Rousseau because uh, he had been moving down draft boards and we talked about it on, on the team's draft board, how they had him as a second rounder. The Bills got him late in round one, which is basically the same as an early second round pick. He fits a need. You know, there's, it's a big question mark. If you can get him anywhere near where he was in 2019, this was a sensational pick, but you don't know. Very thin body work, a guy that's not a real big guy, uh, maybe a liability against the run, and someone who hasn't played much football on the college level. Now, you could argue that Buffalo's second-round pick is a better football player, maybe doesn't have the raw upside of Gregory Rousseau, but Wake Forest defensive end Carlos Basham at pick 61, a guy that Tony and I have certainly expressed our interest in and just recognizing him as a value pick this late in the second round. We talked about it, as Tony mentioned, on those teams' draft boards, how Carlos Basham was going to go way too low in the draft if those boards were correct. Well, they were. He almost fell out of the second round. Just a really, really good football player and a Excellent pick for Buffalo here, kind of like what they did last year, taking A.J. Epinesa in the second round, a guy who many had going as a first-round pick. Similar type of player, too, in terms of he's not an elite edge rusher, but he's a complete player who can play on all three downs and play both the run and the pass. And then in round three, Buffalo took Northern Iowa offensive lineman Spencer Brown. Another real nice value pick here for Buffalo. What do you think of these two selections, Tony? I thought both were exceptional. I mean, you, you hit it right. You hit the nail on the head. They got A.J. at Vanessa last year, late in round two. They get Boogie Basham, Carlos Basham, late in round two. I absolutely love Basham. I, I, I mean, I think this is a, a potentially a major steal, but he's got to step it up. They got to be able to develop him. I don't think A.J. Epinesa developed at the rate we thought possible a year ago. Let's see if Basham can. If he does, uh, they hit a home run here. I think the selection of Spencer Brown was outstanding. You can develop him behind Darrell Williams. Eventually, he comes in. He's your starting right tackle. Uh, for a long, long time, helping to protect uh, quarterback Josh Allen. Now, five third-day picks for Buffalo, starting with Miami, Ohio offensive lineman Tommy Doyle. And then in the sixth round, they had three selections. Houston wide receiver Marquez Stevenson should bring some speed to that offense. Pittsburgh defensive back Damar Hamlin, who might not bring a ton of speed to the defense, but good, solid football player. Wisconsin quarterback Rashad Wild Goose Jr. was the third of those six-round picks. And Texas Tech offensive lineman Jack Anderson, the third offensive lineman that Buffalo selected in the draft. I wouldn't necessarily call their offensive line, you know, a problem last year. Maybe it wasn't an elite offensive line. And again, most of these guys, especially the third-day picks, are just going to provide depth at the position. But Buffalo obviously saw a need at the position and really targeted it heavy. Yeah, and a guy like Jack Anderson I think was great value. I mean, he's a guy who can play guard or center. Uh, you got Mitch Morse there, who they signed to a big free agent contract a couple of years ago. You had Cody Ford, who they selected, uh, I believe, what was it, early round two. Uh, Anderson's a guy who will play behind them and could step in. Tommy Doyle is another developmental prospect. I don't know whether he's going to be a left tackle at the next level or a right tackle. I know they hope for him to be a left tackle. But still, I, I think both of those guys were exceptional uh, choices. 
and guys that have a good upside. Marquez Stevenson in round six, I think that's about two rounds later than everyone thought. Brings speed, brings ability as a return specialist, solid pass catcher, just a little bit small. And Damar Hamlin, I mean, uh, our favorite uh, defensive back for the past couple of years. He's not the fastest guy, although he did run relatively well during pro day. I would be shocked if Damar Hamlin, who's a tremendous football player with outstanding instincts, is not on the active roster this fall. Now, you mentioned Marquez Stevenson being a bit of a smaller receiver. They also picked up Trey Walker out of San Jose State as an undrafted free agent, a guy that we talked about during bowl season. Smaller receiver, but good player. Explosive, can make big plays. Quinton Morris, the tight end from Bowling Green, I thought was an excellent pickup for them. Just a ball of clay that you can really try to develop, use him up the seam. They have Dawson Knox there, but they did lose Tyler Croft to the Jets. Quinton Morris is a guy that could come in, maybe develop a little bit behind Dawson Knox. And listen, if he hits his ceiling, he's a guy that could be a passable starting tight end in a couple seasons. Tony, anything else stand out to you from the UDFA class for Buffalo? Yeah, Morris was great as a street-free agent, uh, which shocked me coming into the season by scouts. Had a decent year last season at Bowling Green, although the max started late and you didn't know whether you were playing week to week, which is terrible at the senior bowl. I mean, he was terrible at the senior bowl, came back with a good pro day. He's got good upside. If he doesn't make uh, the active roster, which I think is a stretch, he'll find himself on the practice squad. Uh, I like all three defensive backs that they signed. Nick McLeod, who's a bigger, you know, punch in the face, bump and run type of corner out of uh, Notre Dame. Elijah Griffin, who I thought should have been drafted in the middle of uh, – Day three, he's a potential uh, dime back at the next level. And Tariq Thompson, you know, another one of those San Diego State uh, defensive backs who didn't run fast. But in the case of Tariq Thompson, unlike the other guys uh, from the past years, uh, is a good football player, very instinctive, constantly around the action. Uh, He may have a tough job making an active roster, especially considering that they got Damar Hamlin there. But I think Thompson will either make a practice squad or make some other team's active roster. And that's it for the 187th episode of the Draft Analyst, presented by Bet Online and the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on any of the major podcast platforms and leave us a rating and a review. And feel free to ask us any questions and give any feedback you may have as well. We'll be back early next week with the NFC East with two more shows to follow. But until then, for Tony Pauline, this is Chris Tripodi. Good night. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.